Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Lies About Loving God, and it is part of the Loving God Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. And we're talking about, we're in a series called Loving God. And today I want to talk to you from the subject, Three Lies About Loving God. Next Sunday, I hope, the Lord allowing me, I'm, I want to talk about emotionally engaging with God and intimacy with the Lord. And God gives us some very clear direction about that. But today, I want to look at some information in the Scripture, some information in life, consistent with life, that will clear up some, I believe, some misunderstandings about what it really means. to You know, loving God is the core and central theme of the scripture. Let's read it. First John chapter 5 verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commandments. This is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. David Baker is the head of the committee that uh, selects new inductees into the National Football Hall of Fame. He's a giant of a man. And often, many years, I find myself somehow watching the television and watching him knock on the hotel room door. And behind that door is this retired football player and his family. And he knocks on the door, and it's always extremely emotional uh, because... Uh, there's about 376 guys in the Net Football Hall of Fame, and 29,000 have played the game. So it's pretty special to get selected to the National Football Hall of Fame. And he, but he made this observation. I heard him talking uh, the other day, and he made this observation about that moment when men get selected to the Football Hall of Fame in the emotions. He said they're not thinking about their statistics. They're not thinking about their highlight reel. They're not thinking even about their championships. They're not thinking about their play. They are thinking about the mom who took them to football practice. They're thinking about the dad who played catch with them in the backyard. They're thinking about the coach that took an interest in them when they were a junior or a senior or a freshman. That's what they're thinking about. They're thinking about their teammates. They're thinking about missing the locker room and the meeting room and those friendships. You see, love is the most important thing in our life. It really is. Love is the bookends of our lives. We know that we are nothing without love. God has wired us to love and be loved. God says, I am the essence of love. That's what I am. The scripture, 1 John, in that section where we read a minute ago, it says God is love. But 
what we, what we all run into is that love is counterintuitive to something within us, something that theologians call your sin nature. Because there's something within me and with all of you that will choose power over love, even though what, we, what meets our needs is love. We find that, listen to Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. God, the serpent says to Eve, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Now think about it. Eve had perfect love in her life. She had a perfect love relationship with God. God was taking really good care of her. But power seduced her away from love. And so really, the whole idea of the gospel is to bring us back from our power delusion back to love as the major force of our lives. The Beatles sang it this way, all you need is love. And the Beatles were right. There's all kinds of examples. Well, so, so the problem with love is that it's not self-explanatory. And because it's not self-explanatory, and it sounds so simple, we make up a lot of stuff about love that just aren't, isn't true. And we have assumptions that are actually lies. It's, it's vital that we listen to John the Beloved when he says, this is love for God. When somebody says to you, look, this is an example of what you think you know, or what you think you understand, you better pay attention. So I want to clear up three major lies about loving God. The first lie that I want to clear up is that we can love him without his grace. There's so many examples in Scripture where God asked people and challenged people to be loyal to him and love him. And every time he did, they always said, sure, we can do that. You got it, Lord. High five. The children of Israel, the nation of Israel, back in the beginning, God says to them, I want you to obey me, and I want you to follow me, and I want you to be loyal to him. And they said, oh, God, you just brought us out of Egypt. You killed Pharaoh's army. You brought us across the Red Sea. You think we're crazy. You think we're a bunch of ingrates. Of course we're going to love you. Of course we're going to obey your commandments. And the Lord said to them, no, you won't. And sure enough, their history is filled with idolatry and sin and rebellion and turning their back on God and choosing other gods. It's, it's just amazing. You, I, if you have not read the Bible through, let me warn you, you're going to get discouraged. You think, say, read the scripture, you'll be encouraged. No, you're going to be terribly discouraged. You're going to be like, oh, man, we people are messed up. You'll come away believing that God's not the problem. Another example is Simon Peter. Simon Peter, Jesus says to him, Simon, you're going to deny me three times. And Simon Peter says, no way. I'll be with you to the end. You're, you go die, I'll be there dying beside you. And when less than 48 hours, he had denied that he even knew Jesus. He de de denied that he even knew him. He, he didn't just say, well, I, I don't know if he was the son of God. He said, I don't even know him. That's how fragile we are. Because we, you know, think about it. There's something really broken about us. 
There's something really wrong with us. Our best attempt at love, I just come to, to, to face the fact that I don't have it. Uh, my best attempt at love is reciprocal love. I, I, I say I love something, and invariably I love it because of how it makes me feel. You know, that, that's what you, so you say, well, I love my children because they, the, the way your children make you feel until they don't make you feel that way. I love my, I love my husband, I love my wife as long as they make you feel a certain way. And then when they don't make you feel that way, you don't love them anymore. There's something broken about our love. Because when you look at the love of God, it's not like that. Amen? So this is why we talk so much in the church about grace. Unmerited favor. The power to know and do the will of God. We are simply incapable of loving God. It's like, it's like at Christmas time when you take your, your little one to the mall to buy you a Christmas gift and you have to hand them money in, in cash or digital currency. You have to give them money so they can go down the mall and buy you a gift. Pedro the Lion sang a song years ago called The Secret of the Easy Yoke. And it's kind of a haunting song. All the lyrics are pretty interesting, but I just pick out these. Could someone please tell me the story of sinners ransomed from the fall? I have never, still never seen you, and some days I don't love you at all. I read that. It's, that's, that's, my, that's my heart many days. But listen to how Jesus responds to the teacher of the law in Mark chapter 28, 12, 28 that we read last week, who had asked of him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus responded in verse 34, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Because he had said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And Jesus responded and said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What kind of response is that? What does he mean, you're not far from the kingdom of God? Why did he say not far? Why didn't he say, you got it, you're all set? Why did he say not far? Well, the answer is really simple. The answer is really simple is you know what to do, but you're not going to be able to do it because there's one more step. And it, I, I'm going to quickly give you that one more step in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. The king says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Where? In the Holy Spirit. Then you go to Romans 5.5, 5, go back to Romans 5.5, 5, and it says God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. A transaction has to take place before you are able to love God. You can only love God in response to his love. That's the, that's the principle. And in fact, um, I love James 4 verse 5. In the passion, um, the passion paraphrase, I started to call it a translation. It's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. I love James, James 4 5 in the para, passion paraphrase because I'd read for all my life, I'd read the scripture dwells within us to envy, and I never really understood what these, what's he talking about. Then the passion translation or, or paraphrase cleared it up for me where it says, The spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us. He continues to pour out more and more grace. You know what I'm doing these days? 
I'm begging God for the grace to love him more. Oh God, this is the most important thing I can do with my life, and I mean this with all my heart. The most important thing you can do with your life is love him. I have to have the ability to do that. You've got to put the love in me that I can give back to you. You've got to give me the you got to give me the $20 bill so I can, so I can go down to uh, whatever store and buy you a pair of socks. I'm going to uh, give you an illustration right now from some friends of ours. Tyler and um, Crystal Tulis, they pastor the uh, Story Heights Church in Newton, Massachusetts. And they were at our home for dinner a few weeks, uh, weeks ago. And they told the story of their relationship and their romance and when I thought about it, that, as, as I was preparing for this series, I thought, you know, that perfectly describes when someone has no feelings for God and God pursues them and gives them feelings. And so I'm going to let uh, Tyler and Crystal tell their own story. I had them to put on video, so the next five minutes you're going to enjoy hearing from Pastor Tyler and uh, Crystal Tulos. We know everything there is to know about everything. All right, so flashback, the year's 2001. We're 18 years old in college, freshmen in college. We know everything there is to know about everything. I have a friend who goes to school at Abilene Christian, lives across the hall from this beautiful lady here. We don't know each other at the time. I call my friend to say hello. She is busy doing things that college, she was students, studying. college students do, like you know, studying and stuff. Um, we were not. Uh, I said hello. Uh, what are you doing? I'm busy. Would you like to talk to my friend, Crystal? Crystal gets the phone and she says, Hi, Tyler. Say it. I had a really, really thick Texas twang back then. But say it, say it real good. Hi, Tyler. Hi, Tyler. And I was like mesmerized. You know what I'm saying? It was love at first talk for me. And so um, fast forward to... For me, it was not. It was not love at first talk. And so fast forward... <laughs> To this weekend, Martin Luther King weekend, yes. 2002, Crazy. Um, uh, Crystal and a group of the friends from Texas came to Louisiana to visit me. Now, what, you're, <clears throat> what he's not telling you is that over Christmas break, my friend had come home with a scrapbook. Remember the day when you had to like look, print out your yeah, pictures? Look at actual pictures. And right. she had scrapbooks. She showed Tyler my picture and he... I was, I was hooked. It was... I, I put voice with face, and I was like, face and voice is a victory for the hand, home team. What is this hand thing you're I'm doing? getting fired okay. up, thinking okay. back. So he was like, man, this girl's fine. I yeah. need to know her. And so when I went there for Martin Luther King weekend. Oop, you missed something. Over Christmas. Oh. I'm, I was bold in my pursuit of this, this woman. Is, this is integral to the because story. Because it was... She became real important to me real fast. Y'all, I got a letter in the mail over Christmas break. Like I have a, never like met a, this man. With a stamp kind of mail. I've never met this man face to face yet. No, just seen pictures. I've only spoke to him on the phone once. And it is addressed, the letter from him to me, to Mrs. MRS period. Crystal. Mm. Tullis. That's my last name, not hers. Or wasn't that My maiden time. name was Packard. Yeah. Mrs. Crystal Tullis. And then he put an arrow with a little heart that said, has a nice ring to it. 
I wish I had. I, I do have that letter somewhere in the boxes of storage. So this is what people do. I was like, who is this person? Bold. So I meet him. Is. We've got to speed this along. I meet him over Martin Luther King weekend. I don't think he's so cute. But you had some butterflies? No, not really then. I had no butterflies. But I thought he was nice, and I had never met anyone like Tyler. Uh, turns out he was like a legit Christian and uh, had the Holy Spirit in his life. And so I had never met a guy like that before. And so there was kind of something mesmerizing about him, but there was no like, for me, for me, there was no like major chemistry at the beginning. But he- For me, there was plenty. There was- Buku, as we in, say, Buku. He was in love. Yeah. And so we went, you know, we go back to our colleges and this fool, he starts emailing me every day after nine o'clock when we had nights and weekend mm -hmm, minutes. Mm -hmm. He would call me every night. Mm -hmm. And then he came nights to see us. Weekends. He was like, I'm going to come see Kelsey, who was our friend, over Valentine's weekend. Well, it was Mardi Gras in Louisiana. Whatever. But it was Valentine's like for Valentine's. Else. Yeah. So like a month later, after we've hung out in Baton Rouge, mm -hmm. and he asks me to go on a date. And so we go to see a movie, and he like holds my hand in the movie. And I am thinking, oh man, I'm leading this guy on. This is not going to go well. I don't think he's attractive. What's not to like? <laughs> I just, I don't. So here was my plan. I was going to finish the movie and I was going to never speak to him again. He was going to drop me off my dorm room, fly back to Baton Rouge. And I was going to email, just ignore all his, his emails and phone calls and just never speak to him Which, again. As a plan is rude. It's so, rude. So he lets me out of the car. I go up to my dorm room. I'm like, Shoo. I'm not going to break that guy's heart. And on my bed, y'all, I'm not even kidding. This man, tell I don't him. know where he came from. Tell him. But on my tell bed yeah, were, a were a dozen, Let him know. 12. Let him know. Handmade origami paper roses on my bed waiting on me. Like he planned for me to return back to my dorm room. And there was a card that said, you are a queen. And I want to treat you one, like one forever. Will you be my valentine? Will you be my valentine? Y'all, I looked up at my ceiling and I told God, I was like, okay, I like I I don't know what to do with him, but I he makes my heart happy. And so I asked God, please let him be handsome to me. <laughs> Anywho. Um, and 18 years later. 18 years she's later. still my balance on. Come on, somebody. I finally got butterflies a few months later. It was like a yeah. light bulb went off in my head. After and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's it a miracle. Was, it took a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. Well, we have four children, and he pursued me, and I'm so grateful. I tell him all the time, I'm so grateful that he pursued me um, because he changed my life. And I love him so much, and you're the hottest thing I've ever seen. Go, go. Love you. Love you. Hello. Here's a song I wrote about 40 years ago that says this same message. I ran from him and he followed me. What did he want and what could he see? Then I turned around and I looked in his face Then I realized it had to be grace It had to be grace The unmerited favor of God up above 
grace That's how He loves me when I'm hard to love Grace, it's the power to do all His will To run in the race So whatever I am and whatever I'll be So if I bless you with something I do, don't be amazed, God's coming through. Don't lift me up high or give me the praise, all glory to God. It has to be grace, it has to be grace, the unmerited favor of God up above, oh grace. That's how He loves me when I'm hard to love. Grace, it's the power to do all His will and to run in the race. So whatever I am and whatever I'll be, it's by grace. And it's grace. Grace, grace. God's grace. Sing that old song. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace. sing that? Would you stand and sing that with us? Grace. So number, lie number one, you can't love him. Or, or lie number one is you can love him without his grace. Lie number two is that you can love him without cost. We had the example of a couple. Crystal had no f- attraction to Tyler. He pursued her. He won her. There came a point when she had to respond. There came a point when she had to pay the price for that love. It couldn't be free. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. Bonhoeffer warned us many years ago. Bonhoeffer, that great German saint, 
who went to the gallows and was hung. And when he went to the gallows, he fell on his knees and prayed in the cell before the guard took him out. And then he fell on his knees and praised God again at the gallows. And the doctor who pronounced him dead after he was hung said he'd never seen anybody die in peace like that. And Bonhoeffer writes a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer warned the church of cheap grace. That someday, he believed, the church would embrace a grace that cost people nothing. But listen, it's not honest when we tell people that love doesn't cost you. It's not honest. We're not telling them the truth. Crystal gave up her name. She's had four babies. Anybody have a baby and tell me that's not costly? We men know nothing about that. We, we, know, we know so little we might as well know nothing. It's not honest to tell people you can love God and it won't cost you anything. It's not historical. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. It's not historical. Many, 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 many people lost their heads and lost their lives so you could sit in church this morning. It's also not helpful. Sacrifice is what feeds affection. Engagement and sacrifice and giving up your time and giving up your money and giving the Bible says where your treasure is there will your heart be also. And finally, it's not biblical. Matthew 13, 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it, and again in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Listen, I don't want to ever give up on the doctrine of grace and the doctrine of unearned salvation. But I cannot lie to people and tell them that walking with Christ will not cost you a great deal because it will. Interesting, Rachel Joy Denhalder, Denhollander is an attorney Former gymnast, she's the one who first outed Larry Nasser, that uh, Michigan State University gymnastic doctor, for his sexual abuse of, of dozens of young girls. And she made this statement this, just this week. She's also an outspoken Christian. She said 93% of sex offenders describe themselves as religious. And a significant number admit to intentionally targeting churches because of their views on grace and forgiveness. I think we need to clear up our views on grace and forgiveness to include the cost of giving up your sin if you're going to walk with Jesus. Is that okay? Is that okay that we start to preach that? Owen Strahan said the greatest threat to biblical Christianity today is not atheism, militant Islam, the sexual revolution, or a hostile public square. The greatest threat to biblical Christianity today is weak, soft, man-centered, sin-affirming, ear-tickling, flesh-pleasing, self-help theology. Number three. Lie number three. We can outlove God. The jury has returned for me. There's no better life than loving the Lord. That must mean I'm not capable of out-loving him. When you start hanging out with God, here's what will happen to you. 
Your heart will soften toward him at some point, and you will start to feel the desire to give him more. I guarantee it. However, I want to warn you, for those of you who have not taken the love plunge with God, I want to warn you, you will have this natural response by your human mind And it will say, wait a minute, what if I invest more than God's going to invest? What if the books get out of balance and I find that I've given him much more than he's given me? If you're not careful, you will believe the lie that God is in a position of owing you and you have outgiven him and outloved him. And that is a fear that you will have. You will think, if I love someone as much as people say God loves me, I wouldn't let them suffer today the way God is letting me suffer. So I must be out loving the Lord. You know, you, you, you will think, here's what you will think. I just checked the books and God's love account is overdrawn. I totally understand this kind of thinking because I think that way sometimes. But then two things come to mind. One As I remember, I remember that, A, everybody faces suffering, so I have a choice to face suffering with God or without Him. Walking away from His love is not going to make life hurt any less. And secondly, I remember that God keeps showing up in my life in very powerful and very real ways. Just this week, some of you remember Many of you remember Brian LeBlanc. He was the disabled vet who would come with his large service animal. And literally this church, Compassion New England, my own involvement, Brandy Goddard, when she was heading up Compassion New England, we literally saved his life. And I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but I found him one day in an apartment in Milford in February No oil in the tank, no heat, not one bit of scrap of food in the refrigerator. And he had had been let out of a a facility with aphasia. You know what aphasia is, right? Aphasia is when you talk, but the words, the correct words don't come out. So you're incapable of communicating. So he was incapable. He would call people on the phone, but he he couldn't explain anything. And I remember walking into that little apartment that day and realizing this man is going to die in here if we don't do something. And our team went to work. We got, of course, we took care of the food and the heat. And we got the VA on the phone and got them back involved in him because they had lost track of him. And he had been, he had been shot at Mogadishu and he had been uh, uh, exposed to chem- chemical agents uh, uh, in uh, Iraq. Well, I get the call on Wednesday that he's not doing well this week. And he has had a lot of problems, a lot of strokes, a lot of, he's suffered a lot. I tried to get there for two days, and I just couldn't get there. And finally, on two, the second day, I, I got there. I got there, I went in, the nurses were there, they said he's going. But I was able to visit with him one last time, and I was able to pray with him, and then I left. I drive down the street in Webster to the Wendy's and get some lunch. And my phone rings. It's his caretaker. She said, you didn't get off the parking lot until he died. What, am I, what is my point? I, in fact, Sherry and I were in a little text message together. I said, you know, God must really love broken people. God really loved that man that he made sure. Because 
and I'm not lifting myself up. Please, please, that's not what I'm doing. You would do the same thing. But his caretaker told me this, and, and I don't believe it, but she told me, so I'll tell you, because it'll help the story. <laughs> she said, you are the most important person in his life. I'm telling you, God keeps showing up. I don't understand the pain of life. I don't understand the suffering. I can't figure it all out. I tell God all the time, God, if I were you, I would take care of me better today. I, I tell him that. I'm honest with him. And within, you know, he doesn't always fix the problem I wanted him to fix. But within a few hours, he shows up in some way that I cannot deny that he just showed up in my life. So, you can walk away from his love because of the imperfect world. But you're not escaping the unjust, confusing, and broken world. You're just choosing to face that unjust, confusing, and broken world without the greatest partner and friend and love that you could ever have. You're still going to face the unavoidable suffering, and you will probably create some additional suffering because of your sin. Will you walk away from the lies about God's love? Will you stand? I believe there are some here this morning who need to walk away from the lies of God's love, about God's love. And today, that in the last 30 minutes, I believe something happened in your heart. And I want to give you a chance to respond. There's communion up here, but before you take communion, I'd like to pray for you. So if you would like prayer for your spiritual walk, if you would like prayer for that decision to become, become a follower of Christ, please, Quickly, slip out of where you're standing and come and stand right here in the front, and I'm going to pray for you. God is so good. Maybe you need a, maybe you just need a tune-up. Maybe you just need a tune-up. You've, you've let life get you bitter and angry and upset and cold. And you've grown cold in your love for God. But today, you, you want to come back to his love. If you need prayer for any reason, I'll expand this. If you need prayer for any reason, come on down. Okay. Thank you for coming. Thank you for participating. Thank you for responding. You're not responding to me. You're not responding to me, believe me. Uh, you're responding to God. You're responding to, to his love. It's the best thing there is. It really is. Father, in Jesus' name, would you join me in prayer, congregation? Lift your voices. I pray for my friends who are gathered here at the front now who need a refresher on your love, who need to re-encounter your love. Life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. Somebody needs to hear that right now. Somebody needs to start enjoying God again. Because don't feel like you're a lone ranger if life happens to you in such a way that you stop enjoying God because it happens to the best of us and, and the worst of us. Lord Jesus, renew that person who needs renewal today and save that person who needs saving and fix that person who needs fixing, God. And bring that person, that family, back into grace. 
And let us begin to walk in your powerful grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's give God one big shout of praise in this room. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes. Yes, hallelujah. Please, please partake of communion, fellowship. If you're a guest here today and you're new to Bethany, um, uh, if you haven't come, I'm going to be over in the guest lounge. I'd love to visit with you.